Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Sabbath. Please, we ask that at this time, your Holy Spirit will join us in this room, will fill this sanctuary with his presence. If there's something that we need to learn, then I pray that you will show it to us individually and let it be a high Sabbath for all of us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I was in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, on a work-related assignment uh, when one of my colleagues uh, invited me out for dinner. He had found a, a Vietnamese restaurant that he wanted to try, and he, uh, he didn't want to go by himself, so he invited a few people, and I was the only one that took him up on it. And so um, I went, and as the evening played out, and as we shared dinner talk, the conversation turned to religion. And um, on the surface, that, that sounds like a good thing, but actually in this case, it, it wasn't really. I was pretty tired physically, and this guy was just, you know, he, he was all over the place. He was just saying all these things that, that didn't make sense to me. Um, they didn't seem that biblical, even though we we're talking about religion. And um, I, you know... I felt like I was kind of being drawn into a little bit of a debate. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> and um, so I felt like I had two choices. You know, I could either just let it go, ignore it, and maybe be guilty of not sharing the truth with, with him. Um, or I could, you know, try to find a way to correct him softly in, in hopes that perhaps, you know, um, something I said could, could help him out. So as, as, I, as I listened to him, I decided to, to start asking him questions. And so, you know, he was going on and I was just asking him questions. And unfortunately, uh, my strategy didn't work that well because when, when I started asking him questions, by my questions, he, could, he was realizing that I wasn't exactly agreeing with the things he was saying. And so he seemed to work harder, you know, to convince me of, of the things that he was uh, saying. And so um, at one point he even said, well, you know, Elvis, you know, you're, you have to remember that you're talking to somebody who studied at a theological seminary. He's speaking of himself. And so I thought, oh, okay, I was kind of glad when I heard that. And I gave him credit for it. And I thought I changed my strategy a little bit because assuming that he must be familiar with the Bible, I, I just, I was a little more direct in the things I was saying, but I prefaced everything um, that I said with, as you know, the Bible says such and such. And so um, that actually didn't work much better than, any better than my questions. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty annoyed. I could see he was pretty annoyed by, by my comments. And so anyway, um, we wrapped up dinner, we paid, we walked out, and he was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. And to this day, I don't exactly remember what you know the content of our conversation other than to know it was about religion but um, I'll never forget what he said as we were getting in the car because of what happened next so as we're getting in the car he's still going on and then he says well you know there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that Christ is involved with the church at all here on earth or that he wants anybody like humans to be involved in any church and so now seated in the car, I leaned over to my left and I said, well, as you know, the Bible says <laughs> that Jesus is the head of the church. 
And as soon as I said that, his face just changed. It's like he got possessed. And his eyes got really small. They got, they got like red. And um, it, it was like a look of extreme anger just came over him, you know. And he had his, his finger out like this. And, you know, we're in a car, so it wasn't like he was that far from my face. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, stop it, stop. He, in a very nasty, angry voice, he yelled at me and he said, stop it, stop it, be quiet. He said, that is not true, and I'm sick and tired of Christians trying to resolve everything according to the Bible. He said, that's the problem with all you Christians. You, try, you think you can solve everything according to the Bible. And he, he said some other things, but I, I was tuned out at that point. You know, um, I, It was like he blew me away. And I was, needless to say, I, I was stunned. I, I wasn't expecting to get yelled at like that. Um, he really caught me off guard, and to be honest, I, I, I was a little bit upset. I didn't really appreciate that he yelled at me that way. Um, and so I remember I was sitting there, and I was like halfway praying in my head, like, oh, Lord, now what, you know, what, what do I say? I didn't know what to say. So um, I found myself just saying, okay, I can do that, meaning I can be quiet, and I was. <laughs> I didn't say one word, and we were a, a couple of miles from my hotel. We were not staying at the same hotel and my hotel was only like three miles from there. It's a good thing because it felt like a hundred miles. <laughs> it was just we we just went. It, it it was a slow ride all the way back. Neither of us said one word. It was dead silence in the car. And so, um, you know, we got to the hotel. He dropped me off. I jumped out. I thanked him for dinner. <laughs> and I went up and you know right away I called my wife. You know and I talked her ear off. As husbands can do, ah, you wouldn't believe what what just happened. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it, it kind of um, it went like this. Um, it went like this for days. I, I couldn't quite get over, you know, having been yelled at like that. I, I wasn't getting over it too quickly, and um, it was like someone was pressing a big rewind button, you know, on on top of my head, saying like, you know. Uh, the problem with all you Christians is I just kept hearing those words. <laughs> you try to resolve everything with the Bible. And um, as at some point in the days ahead, as I was still sulking over this incident, th- this thought came to me, and it was this. I thought, you know what? As much as I, I didn't like what this guy said to me, or even how he said it, um, I wished he had been right. In other words, I, I wish that that was really the problem that Christians have, that we try to solve everything according to the Bible. Because if we really wanted to be honest with ourselves, the truth is, that's the last thing Christians are doing. I mean, Adventists, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, you know, Catholics, if we want to include our Catholic friends in the Christian bunch, um, Christians the world over are absolutely not trying to resolve everything, to, to resolve their life issues according to the Word of God. It's, it's the reason why many of our marriages are broken. It's the reason why many of our careers are broken. It's the reason why... Um, we suffer many of the afflictions, you know, that we suffer as Christians. We, we, we bring a lot of it on ourselves because we are not, we're not really paying attention to God's word as we should. Now, 
I, I hope, I know this could sound a little judgmental, what I'm saying, and I hope you don't take it that way. God knows I don't mean it that way. Um, in fact, we know from Scripture that there's always that 7,000 that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal, right, from the story of Elijah. But I'm not talking about those 7,000. They're doing great. I'm talking about the rest of the Christian population that wear the name of Jesus on their shirt, but are not really in a position to live by his word because they don't read it, they don't study it, they don't internalize it, or otherwise find a way to make it part of the fabric of their lives. Many modern-day Christians are um, what I would call you know, Bible verse Christians. We can, we can quote all the famous Bible verses, uh, John 3.16, Psalm 23, Jeremiah 29.11, we even know the format of the Bible well enough to look up a verse or two when we're in trouble and find verses that can help us, you know. But the, the truth is, it, it doesn't go much further than that. Um, our Christian experience is, is weak because we, we're not really, our lives are not really firmly rooted in the Word of God. His Word is not rooted in our hearts. And so weak Christianity is rampant in the church today. It's, it's a major problem. And uh, when Jesus was, was being tempted of the devil in the desert, you may recall he used the familiar words, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Um, I Actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to go there once in our Bibles, Matthew 4, chapter 4, for those who want to follow along. I invite you to go to Matthew 4 and verse 4. We can find the same words in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 4, funny enough. Um, but uh, we'll read it from Matthew this morning, since we're studying the book of Matthew this quarter. I'm reading from the King James Version. Matthew 4, verse 4, it says... But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, first of all, you know, Jesus started by saying it is written, which means he's already practicing what he preaches, right? He's in his word. He was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. But if you look closely at this statement, um, he, he, what the things he's saying here, they're not a suggestion. <laughs> He's not suggesting that Bible verse Christianity can somehow in, improve the quality of our lives. He, he's making a statement of fact, and he's saying that if we want to live eternally, there's only one way to do it. And that is by heeding every word of God. Every word. Not some words, but every word the entire Bible there's really no other way to live and the, the, the truth is if we attempt life any other way it doesn't work we're really choosing death right? to, to attempt life any other way that is not by heeding every word of God we're, we're actually choosing death and so even though that's true uh, many, many of us, you know, routinely choose death every day, moment by moment, 
We get up in the morning and we reach for the remote instead of the Word of God. We jump in our cars and we, we flip on the radio stations that have music and programming that are not according to the Word of God. We get to work and because our lives are, are not firmly rooted in Christ, we make decisions and we do things that are really not pleasing unto the Lord. And Satan, you know, he, he knows that you and I cannot achieve a strong Christian experience apart from the Word of God. And so he sets out to distract us on a daily basis, you know, to keep us weak. And, you know, sometimes uh, those of us who've been in the church for, for a very long time, you know, it can get kind of old to hear the same thing all the time. You know, like, be careful what you watch and be careful uh, what you're listening to. Be careful who you associate with. And, you know, Satan, as I was really thinking about this, Satan wants us to keep keep it like that at this trivial level because he knows that there's a much deeper reason why Christians necessarily need to be in the word of God and it's not so we can figure out our music or our entertainment better. That's not the reason. He makes us believe that so we can get annoyed but that is not the reason. The real reason is amazingly given to us by God the Father himself in the book of Revelation. And so If you'd like to turn there with me, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to give you the the verse in just a moment. But actually, before I do that, you can wait for me there at Revelation 19. I'd like to to read Revelation 1.1. You don't have to go there if you don't want. Because, you know, the the book of Revelation was given to us by God the Father. And I'm going to read that in in Revelation 1.1. And and you guys are familiar with this verse. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. So, again, the, the, the fact that God the Father gave this book to Jesus to give to us is a very big deal. And it's a big deal because... The, the theme of the entire Bible is Jesus. From the beginning, Adam was given the promise of Christ. And the Bible says that Enoch, who was seven from Adam, um, prophesied about the, seven, the second coming of Jesus. Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. All the prophets, the Bible says, taught about the things concerning him. The disciples revealed Christ. Paul revealed Christ. And now here in the book of Revelation, before closing the Bible canon, it's like God the Father is saying like, hey, hang on, I, I want to get in on this. <laughs> and he, he unloads this, this book, this awesome book on us that also reveals Christ from the angle of none other than the king of the universe. And, when, and, and it's an awesome book. When you, if, you, if you read chapter 1, for example... John brings us greetings from the the three members of the Trinity, which is pretty cool. Um, And then the revelation begins. And right away, um, God tells us through the messages to the churches the things that Christ likes, the things he doesn't like. And we learn a lot about him. We learn that he doesn't like it when the church gets lazy and their commitment to truth starts to fade. He wants us to keep the flame alive. And And he point blank Ask us to repent of our backsliding. 
We learn that he's willing to remove churches who don't have their act together. We learn that Jesus hates false doctrine. We get a glimpse of his, of his mercy because we can see um, that he's eager to forgive us and he gives us time to repent and we find him knocking on the door if anybody will open. All the way along the book, God, God is using imagery of the sanctuary, completely validating Moses and the prophets. He gives us the history of the church. He shares the three angels' messages with us in, in chapter 14. And Adventists know these messages well because it's part of our mission statement that we're going to collaborate with God to share these messages with the world. He tells us how this thing's going to end. Jesus is coming back for sure, he says. He's going to come back and his reward is with him. But in chapter 19, and I'll go there now. You're probably waiting. Chapter 19, I'm going to start with verse 11. God makes one, what I think is one of the most powerful revelations in all of Scripture. I'm going to start with 11. It says, speaking of Christ, he says, And I saw heaven opened... And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, I digressed a little bit, so we may have forgotten by now that the reason we came to the book of Revelation was to discover that deeper reason for why Christians necessarily need to be in God's Word. And so, I want to focus your attention on the fact that verse 13, in verse 13, God reveals that Jesus is called the Word of God. Now, this is not an insignificant revelation because one verse before in, in 12... He, he, he says that Christ has another name, but that one is a secret. But the fact that he's called the word of God is not a secret. He completely validates what John said in John chapter 1, remember? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the, the point is this. This here is the written word of God. But God is telling us that Jesus Christ is literally, literally the living, breathing Bible on legs and feet. So, he, he, he's, he's, he's God's word in the flesh. So when we take care to embrace the written word of God on a daily basis, it's the same as embracing Christ. And, and when we do the opposite and we put it off moment by moment in favor of the worldly things that we prefer we are literally putting off Christ this is, this is not about music it's not about good entertainment versus bad entertainment see reading God's word or not is about whether we're going to ultimately accept or reject salvation it's that deep because where you have the written word, you have the living word. And where you have the living word, you have salvation. That's why uh, Jesus, when he went to visit Zacchaeus, remember? He said, this day 
is salvation come to thy house? Because the living word of God was there. The Bible is loaded with, with references about the power in the word of God. And it's because, it's because Jesus is the living word of God. His word cannot come back to him void because it is alive in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we pick up the Bible and read it, when we listen to our audio Bibles, when we, listen, when, when we go to church and participate in Bible study and Sabbath school, when we make it our business to be where God's written word is being shared, that living word, Jesus, begins to overtake our lives and produce real spiritual power within us. We begin to gain the power to say no to temptation. We start to experience the fruits of the Spirit in a genuine way. In other words, our holy character traits are not a put-on at this point. Real joy, real peace, real patience, gentleness, goodness, temperance, meekness, real faith, and it, it's that faith that gives us the victory over the world and over sin. And it's that same faith, that same real faith, that powers our prayer lives. We know as Christians that if we could harness just a little bit of real faith in the measure as small as a mustard seed, the Bible says, we can move mountains. And the Bible is clear that this faith is developed through the study of the scriptures. And I'd like to read it for ourselves. If you go with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans ten seventeen says, So then, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, the, the nature and source of true faith, of, of, of real faith, enduring faith, is the word of God. And, there's, and if we want to uh, develop a, a transforming, enduring, serious, real faith, we can only get it in one place, and that's here, from the word of God. And it's no surprise that Satan doesn't want us to read it. It's not a wonder that he is trying to distract us, to keep us away from it. And it's not a surprise that he would get in your face and take hold of the mouth of someone like my colleague at work and, you know, and reject any talk about God's word. As Christians, we're going to run into situations like this. And while we need to keep a loving posture toward Others, including those who, who reject the Bible, we have no need to apologize for our faith in God's Word. You know, we can have dinner, we can share activities, we can work very hard together on projects, but all of this without forgetting that we know in whom we have believed. We have no doubt. We don't need a heathen telling us to be quiet and put down the Word of God. No. Of course, Satan, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. He doesn't want us to read it, or at least not all of it, because his aim is to keep us just 
far enough from Jesus so that we'll end up in the same place that the five foolish virgins ended up in the book of Matthew. Now, all of us know the story, and I'm not going to repeat that story from here, but there are a couple of verses that I would like to share from that story, which is in Matthew 25, if you want to go there. Matthew 25. In Matthew chapter 25, the story starts in verse 1, but from chapter 24, Christ was already, had already been talking to his disciples about things related to the second coming. So here in verse 1, he continues on the same topic, but he sort of like switches gears and he starts in with a new story about the ten virgins that took their lamps and went to meet the the bridegroom. And so he tells us that five virgins were wise, five were foolish. And summarizing, he tells us that the five foolish ones went on this journey toward heaven without oil. They didn't take the need for the Holy Spirit too seriously. And as you know, they all fall asleep, and um, when suddenly the moment of truth is upon them. And they're all serious about Jesus, because the Bible tells us that when, when that moment of truth came, when they heard the call, all of them got up with the full intention of finishing the journey strong. But this is where Bible verse Christianity got the best of five of them. And I, I want to point your attention to verses 7 and 8 of chapter 25 in Matthew. It says, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. See, I don't know if you caught that, of your oil. They still thought some oil was going to do the trick. You know, like if you keep some and you give us some, that'll be enough. But they were fooling themselves because some doesn't cut it when it comes to the kingdom of God. When you study this story using all the tools that are available to us, um, including Ellen White, um, you realize that the lamps represented the Bible, which at this point was useless to them because... They hadn't read it. They never accepted that when when it comes to salvation, we are not at liberty to select from the Word of God the the, the portions of of Scripture that appeal to us and let go of the rest, reject the others. And um, because again, when we reject the Word of God, we are rejecting Christ. And, and, And those who persist in this pattern, um, unfortunately, gained the one result that we see in this story as well, which is chapter 25 and verse 12. It says, But he answered, Jesus that is, and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And this is where our memory verse comes in from this morning, which was shown on the screen and went well with the words that Tina read. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. The way forward for these versions went dark because they had no word. Which is unfortunate. Look, I've had the, the privilege of, to serve you in the personal ministries department these last couple of seasons. Nelson, Nelson mentioned that we're sort of highlighting personal ministries today. Personal ministries Sabbath. 
And if you, if you look at a church manual, it'll tell you that, you know, the job of personal ministries is, as a department, is to equip the brethren with what they need in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And so as a church, you know, we can spend thousands of dollars on tracks and magazines and handouts and programs and strategies, whatever we think will work, um, you know, to share the gospel. But I, I tell you with all honesty that nothing, nothing at all can equip you or me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone like reading the Bible. There's not, nothing can do it. You can read 10 magazines. I mean, you, you, unless you get in this word, you will not be prepared to share the Bible with others. And when you look around, you know, our young people, our neighbors, the world around us, they're all starving for, the, for, for Jesus, for the word of God. I remember one time when, uh, during 9-11, I had a, a, a boss who was, um, you know, he was not really a Christian. And, but on that day, <laughs> he called me, and then he was, he was just like, you know, oh, what, you know, what's supposed to happen? I mean, what does the Bible say about it? He was very interested. And it's, it's, it's funny, because today I didn't even know if he knew I was a Christian, you know. He didn't seem to care, but people are starving for the word, and they know where they can get it. But they can't if we're not ready. <laughs> and, um, you know, to, to really share the word of God with others, Jesus has to be in here first before he can come out to be shared with others. The Omega Quartet um, actually has graciously agreed to sing one last meditation song. And I'll invite them up now while they're getting ready. I'll say a few more words here. Um, I'd like to end with a Bible verse and a challenge. And we can find the Bible verse also in Psalm 119, like our scripture reading, but this time in verse 89. Psalm 119 and verse 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And that's, that's an amazing statement because God's word is settled in heaven. It's here on earth that it's not settled. We're, we're the ones that don't have it settled. Because here it needs to be settled one heart at a time. And I can tell you with all sincerity, I want one of those hearts to be mine. I kid you not. I do not want to miss the kingdom of God. I do not want anybody in this church to miss the kingdom of God. I want to be there. I want to see my dad again. I want to meet friends who have gone the way of all the earth. I want to be there with my wife, with my children, as I know you do. And so here's the challenge, a friendly challenge. While the quartet uh, sings, if you would, if you're willing to bow your head in silent prayer. And, you know, if you've come this far in your Christian experience, but have not yet read the entire Word of God, everything in this book, I just, I want to challenge you to, to maybe 
repent, if I could use that word, and, and ask, ask the Lord while these guys are singing, ask him for the, for the strength, the Holy Spirit power to, to, to have him put that desire in your heart and leave here determined that that's going to change. Determined that, that this will be the year that you're really going to read this, this book and latch on to Christ in the ways that you can only do when you read the Bible. If you have read the entire book, then praise God. And I really mean that. Praise the Lord. And I would say, maybe you would consider praying and asking the Lord to put a burning desire in your heart to share the book with others. 